you to turn with me to the book of James, chapter number one. James, chapter number one, verse number 22. Well, now, start at verse number 19. James, chapter one, and we'll start at verse number 19. I am so elated to be here in this place with you guys today. Amen. I, I count it a blessing and a privilege uh, to, to shepherd the flock at Elizabeth Baptist Church in Benton, Louisiana, a place where we're building faith and connecting families. That's what we're all about. Amen. And so we thank God for this day and thank God for the opportunity he's given us to be here with you. Glory to God. You are special in the eyesight of God. Amen. And so James chapter one, let's look at verse number 19. Now we're, we're, we're going to wrap up this series today on spiritual authority and accountability, something that we've been sharing because we know is, is integrally important in the life of the church that we as believers understand uh, the importance of submitting ourselves to spiritual authority and to, to making ourselves accountable to one another. Is that right? You know, in every aspect of life, uh, we know that we understand and we have to embrace uh, the principle of accountability. But it seems like in the church, we've gotten to the point to where we believe that, that if we do not want to do it, we do not have to do it. And nobody can make us do it because I'm my own man, I'm my own woman, and I will do it if I feel like it. After all, I'm just a volunteer, and that's the problem right there. When you see yourself as a volunteer rather than a servant, then you have the wrong concept of Christianity. Paul said that he was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he lived, but not, Christ, but not I, he said, but Christ lives in me. And the life that he lives in the flesh was by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. So Paul said, I've died to self so that Christ can live through me. Child of God, I got news for you. Christ wants to live through you. You are part, you and I are part of the church, and he wants to use the church the institution of the church to advance kingdom principles here in the earth realm. So let's go back and we'll look here. We, we, we sort of picked on this last week and we'll uh, try to bring this to a close on this week. Amen. As a matter of fact, we will bring it to a close. Amen. Today. So the text says here, James writes, says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. That'll take you a long ways in life if you just follow that, that, those three principles. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The next verse says what? This verse 20 says, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It does not. But look at the next verse. It says this. This is what I want to get to. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted where? For it has the power to do what? To save your souls. The word of God has the power to save your souls. The word of God has the power to transform each one of our lives. Look at this next verse. 22 is what we want to go to. Look what it says. But don't just what? Listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. The KJV says, says it this way, uh, it says, uh, be, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, doing what? Deceiving your own self. Now, last week, we, we shared with you about Saul and how it was that Saul 
had a veil of deception over his eyes because he did not do what God told him to do. In other words, he did not completely do it. Again, as I've always said, how many of you know that partial obedience is disobedience? Everybody say partial obedience is disobedience. Doing half of what you were told to do by God is disobedience. Being, doing half of what your parents told you to do is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. So we saw, saw that Saul was blinded. And, and again, I, I shared with you on last week, I said, the moment that a person disobeys the word of God that's been clearly revealed to him, a veil goes over his heart and that veil distorts and obstructs his view of life. When you consistently rebel or when you consistently know what the word of God says, but you do not do what you've been taught and do not do what the reveal of the word of God says to you, then now you begin to not be able to see clearly. Can I get a witness? You, what happens is that veil comes over your eyes because you become disobedient so that you can't discern between good and evil any longer. Are you with me today? So as a matter of fact, go with me right quick to Hebrews, the third chapter. I want you all to see this real, real quickly. Hebrews chapter number three. Uh, and we got to get the veils off of Christians' eyes. We, we got to begin to see life clearly. We got to begin to see what God's revealed word is because if you reject God's word, then your ability to understand God's word is going to be distorted. So if you look at your life, you say, I can't understand the Bible, man, Pastor, I get confused. Well, the first question I want to ask you, are you doing the word of God that's already been revealed to you? If you don't do what's already been revealed to you guys, you won't be able to understand anything else because God's going to start right there with your disobedience and he's going to deal with us in our disobedience. Look at what the text says, Hebrews chapter number three. And if you will, let's begin, let's start reading at verse number one, okay? And I got, I'm going to read a lot of scripture, but I want you to follow with me real carefully because in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is actually championing and he's, he's arguing the superiority of Christ over old covenant law. He's, he's arguing the superiority of Christ's priesthood over that of the priesthood of the Old Testament high priest, okay? So God's, God is superior, amen, Jesus Christ and his high priesthood is superior to all of the saints that came before him under the old covenant. Watch what the text says here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 1. Are y'all there? Let's go. It says what? Wherefore, holy brethren, I don't hear anybody reading. See, I just told y'all, see, obedience in the house of the Lord. I didn't hear, I heard one person reading. I believe that was Cassandra right there. Uh, let's, can we go together? Let's go. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Verse three says what? For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. What man? Jesus, right? Inasmuch as he who had built the house hath more honor than the house, right? Verse number four says what? For every house... Read it one more time. But he that built all things 
is God. Now, I'm going to flip with you to the New Living Translation for this next verse. Go to the NLT for me, brother, right quick. Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 5 from the NLT. It says what? Let's read together. It says what? Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration, watch this, of the truths God revealed later. Verse 6, but Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house, right? If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Now look at the verse 7. This is what I want to get to. It says what? That is why the Holy Spirit says today when you hear his voice, harden not your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. When they tested me in the wilderness, there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, amen, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, what? Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. Now here, stop right here. God is telling us in, through this author about how the nation of Israel, his chosen people, refuse to do what his word says. He says, so I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. Okay, next verse. Let's go, verse 11. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter into my place of rest. Verse 12. Now, here, here's, a, here's a warning for us. Let's read it. It says what? Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Verse 13 says what? You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hard against God. What sin does in the life of a believer, when we are disobedient, sin is missing the mark, it's being disobedient, and so what sin would do, when you start sinning, when you got your little secret sin over there that don't nobody know about, or you think nobody don't know about, or, or you got that little thing that you're doing and, and you're hiding it and, 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 and you kind of gotten comfortable in hiding that little sin, what that will do is, it will. the, the text says, it says, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. When we, when we repetitively operate in sin without trying to get out of it, without repentance, it will begin to harden our hearts toward God. So much so that we won't be able to even understand anything, the, the word of God, because the veil has now covered our hearts. It has covered our faces so that we can't even perceive God's word any longer. So if you're sitting there thinking, I don't want to understand the Bible, well, check your life. Am I, am I living in sin? Am I, am I knowingly on purpose doing something that went against what the word of God told me. And when I am doing that and I am not trying to get released from that, the Bible says I become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin got me blinded. Sin has me thinking that, 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 that I can love the one I'm with. Sin got me Sin's got me thinking, you remember that, that, that blues song says, uh, uh, I, I was listening to it the other day in the car. And, and it, was, it was talking about, this. Warner talked about me and Mrs. Jones. Y'all remember that? We got a thing. 
some of you young cats don't know anything about that, but but the, but, but the, operative, the operative word is me and Mrs. Jones got a thing, and they weren't just reading together. I'm, the, hello? And then, and, and then there's one that says, if love and you is wrong, come on, I'm, I heard that other day too. I don't want to be right. If being right, come on, some of y'all in this position, if being right means being without you, I'd rather be You'd rather be wrong than right? I mean, just stuff that just percolates. And then, then I was listening, and that part said that you, 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 your friends tell you there's no future in loving a married man. But if I can't see you when I want to, why are you going to live like that? My goodness. But do you see, see, see that, that dude that wrote that song? I mean, I don't, you know, songs are songs, but then songs imitate life. And then there's somebody out here, that may be somebody here in the church saying, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right because you make me feel right. So I don't care if I'm right about it. I, guys, let me tell you something. Sin will blind you to truth. Are y'all with me? So, so. So, so we gotta, we got to get to the point to where we, we, we submit to the authority of God's word. Submit to the authority of God's word means that, that when I know what word clearly says, then as a born-again believer, I have a spiritual and a moral obligation to do the word even if I don't feel it. I tell you guys all the time, see, obedience ain't about what you feel. Obedience is about doing what God's word says. I've always said it before, and I'll say it again. Be obedient and let your feelings catch up to your obedience. Do what the word says, even when you may not feel like it. When you don't want to leave him alone, you got to leave him alone. If, he's un, if it's an unhealthy, ungodly, unbiblical relationship. If loving him is wrong, then you don't want to, you want to be right. And you don't want to keep loving him when it's wrong. Everybody with me? All right, so, so, so whenever I hear word and I do not do word, it, it actually puts me in a state where a veil of deception has not engulfed me and I can't understand spiritual truths because I can't see clearly. That's what Saul's problem. Saul, Saul was told to annihilate everybody, but he did 99% of what God told him. And so God judged him because he was not obedient. Now, now I told you, just remember this, I told you that that there's a three-step process that the Lord will take us through, a progressive process in order to reach us in our disobedience. God loves us so much that we're his children, we say, but if we're walking in disobedience, he's not going to just leave us alone. He's going to try to reach us because we can't come into his presence if we're walking in known sin repeatedly, repetitively. I'm not talking about somebody who's struggling. I'm not somebody, talking about somebody who's trying to strive, somebody who's, who's, who's honestly and earnestly saying, you know, I got a problem and I'm trying to get past it. I'm talking about people who are, who are wallowing in sin, who have a lifestyle of doing something that is in direct contradiction to the revealed word of God. I told you on last week that first of all, he always attempts to reach us through conviction. He tries to convict us. First, the Holy Spirit sends a strong conviction to the heart of the believer. But if we, if we, if we, if we repeatedly disobey after a period of time uh, uh, to the point that we become reprobate in our mind, our thinking, our heart, we won't even feel conviction any longer. 
If you keep doing something long enough, you'll stop being convicted by it. If you keep doing something long enough, then now all of a sudden you'll come out in the open with that sin. Come on now. Because you, 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 you've gotten so reprobate in your thinking. So first of all, God does, he sends a strong conviction. When, that, when, it, when you got beyond that, next God, I told you God sends what? A prophetic messenger. Just like he sent Samuel uh, to Saul, right? To deal with his disobedience. Just like he sent Nathan to David. You guys remember this, in, in 2 Samuel 12 chapter, go there right quick, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's look at uh, the prophetic messenger coming uh, to David here. Samuel chapter 12, verse number 1. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 1. Glory to God. Are y'all still with me? Everybody says spiritual authority and accountability. Guys, it's important. It's important. I believe, and I don't, I don't believe I know this, the church is suffering in its effectiveness to change the community is because we got too much going on in here to even be able to effectively deal with what's going on out there. Do you not realize that God never called the church to deal with the world's sin? Do y'all understand that? Paul even said this. Paul says, it's really not my job to try to deal with folk who are not saved and what all they're doing. I just need to try to reach them with the gospel and get them saved. Paul says, Paul says my job and your job as a believer is to judge in the house of God. The problem is, we're not judging in the house of God and we're allowing any and everything to go on. And, and, and the word of God says one thing, but we disregard that. And when that happens, guys, we're, we're, the church has no power. The Bible says a little leaven does what? Leavens a whole lump. Now watch, watch, the, watch the prophetic messenger come to David. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. Now again, how many of you know sometimes God, 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 God can reach us through a story because Watch, watch what happens. There, there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. Verse 2. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. Next verse says, well, the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised a little lamb and grew it up with his children. It, it ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. Next verse says what? Uh, one day a guest arrived at, at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock, or his own herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. Verse 5, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such thing deserves to die. Now watch, watch how God cut him down. Watch how God checks him. See, God has to check us sometimes. We can look at somebody else's stuff and be indignant with it, but then God comes and says, I'm talking about you and your stuff. David was furious. Any man who would do such things deserves his eyes. Verse 6, watch. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Next verse says what? Uh, then Nathan said to David, watch this. You that man. The Lord God of Israel says, now see here is the prophetic message. See, God can use anybody to bring a prophetic message. He can use your pastor. He can use, oftentimes God uses your spouse to bring a word to you. Let me say it again. Oftentimes, God will use your spouse, the one that's closest to you, to bring a prophetic word to you about you. 
Did not the Bible say that God said it's not good for man to be alone? I'm going to give him a helper that's suitable for him, that can compliment him, that can help him. And so we need help in all areas, right? So, so, so God can use your pastor, use your spouse. God will even use your children to speak a prophetic word to you. Your child was sitting here last Sunday when I said Christians ought not be cussing. And then you driving home in your car saying blank and blank, 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 blank. And your child said, Mama, didn't, that, didn't the pastor say we shouldn't be cussing? God just used your child to bring you a prophetic word. And guess what? Your children are learning things in our Real for Christ middle high school ministry, in our CK kids ministry over there right now. They're learning things and that God is putting word down on the inside of them and God will bring that word back up to speak a prophetic message to us when we ignore him. When we got the word in front of us, but we ignore it. Can I get a witness? He can use whoever he wants to use. In, in the prophetic realm to bring a word to you. Your child, it, it can be somebody at work that can speak, speak, speak a word in your life. They don't even know they're speaking a, a, a prophetic word, but, and they may not even be saved, but God will use whoever he needs to use to get a word to you. So, so, so David, he says, he says uh, you're the man, the Lord God of Israel says, I have known that you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. Look at the next verse, says what? Come on, let's go. I gave your, you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Verse 9 says what? Uh, why then have you despised, the, watch this, why then have you what? Despise the word of God. Why, why then have you despised the word of God and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stole his wife. See, see, whenever we know what the word says, but we consciously, on purpose, disobey what that word says, then in effect what we're doing is we're despising the word of God. Well, I'm just only human. No, it ain't about being only human because guess what? God would not have told us we could do a certain thing if we didn't have the capacity to do it. If he did, he would be an unjust God, wouldn't he? So, so we got to realize that God will send a prophetic messenger just like he did David. And then again, he, he, there, there are times, how many of y'all ever walked up in the service and, and, and when you went to that service, uh, you were dealing with something and the guy who was preaching or the woman who was preaching or the Sunday school teacher who was teaching or the women's ministry leaders or the men's ministry leaders had no idea what you were dealing with, then all of a sudden, the subject matter turns to the thing that you were dealing with. And then it hits you right between the eyes. And you're thinking, did somebody tell him what I'm doing? Did somebody come to him and whisper in his ear and say, no, it's the Holy Spirit who, 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 is, who, who, who loves you and wants to... Re remove you from that state of, of, of debauchery and, and enslavement to sin, he's still trying to pull you. God tries, as God does everything in his power to bring us back into his presence. He'll do it, amen. So God will use whoever to bring a prophetic word. But if a prophetic word doesn't work, the third thing we told you was what? God attempts to reach us through judgment. Everybody say judgment. Paul, go back to 1 Corinthians 11 and 31. No, don't even go there. I'll read it for you. Paul said this, for if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's what he says. The root word here uh, for judge appears, I've told you, twice in this verse of Scripture. However, each one of those words, when judge is used twice in the Scripture, 
It's, it's, it's two different Greek words. The first Greek word is diakrino, D-I-A-K-R-I-N-O. Everybody say diakrino. The Greek word diakrino, which means to separate extensively, I told you. And that occurs when we examine ourselves thoroughly and then we remove sin out of our life. What Paul says is we ought to judge stuff ourselves. We ought to look at ourselves and say, listen, that wasn't right. Or you ought to look at ourselves and say, well, you know what, I, I, I've been disobedient. I haven't spent time in my word and I got, I got to correct that. That's, that's diachrono. That, that means that I'm examining my life and I'm observing where I'm caught falling short and then I'm judging it and I'm making a course correction. I'm looking at my own life and I'm seeing where I'm falling short and I'm not having to wait, amen, for anybody else to come. I'm, I'm going to examine it myself. Remember what Paul said? There are some people who are partaking the Lord's Supper and, and many of them have, are sick and some have even died because they didn't properly discern the Lord's body. They didn't properly judge their own uh, situation, their own life, and they were still partaking, amen, of the Lord's Supper. So, so diachronous is the first word which means to, to, to separate extensively. We, and we, we do that when we, when we uh, confess our sins and repent of our disobedience. What does it mean to repent, y'all? It means to turn away. That means I'm going in the opposite direction. To repent, you hear me carefully. You have not repented if you consistently over and over and over do the very same thing. You have not repented. I don't care how many times you say I'm sorry. Saying I'm sorry is not repentance. Okay? Let's say, for instance, if, if whatever, whatever it may be, if it's some, something you did uh, and you and your spouse, your children, your co-worker, your fellow church member, y'all got at odds or whatever, or you were, you, you were into some, some sin that you knew was wrong, but then when you got caught, you said, I'm sorry. But then next month, you do the very same thing. You say, I'm sorry. Then two years from now, you're still saying, I'm sorry. And keep doing the same thing repetitively. Then you have not repented. All you've done is be sorry that you got caught. Can I get a witness? If, if it, repentance means I turn away from it. So, so, so we are to, the first word we said was diachrono. The second occurs in that same passage in verse number 32 is the Greek word krino, K-R-I-N-O. Everybody say krino, K-R-I-N-O, which means to punish or condemn, okay? Paul, Paul says, but when we are judged, when we are punished, when we are krinoed, we are chastened by the Lord. So what, basically what he says is, if I judge it and turn away from it, then God won't judge me. Is that, are y'all getting it? He says, if I judge it, if I examine my own life, figure out what's wrong based on what the scripture says, and then I repent, then God doesn't have to come in and judge me. But if I won't examine myself, and if I won't repent, then God has to come in and judge. And God has all kinds of ways to come and chasten us. Whom the Lord loveth, he does what? He chases. So God will judge us, but wouldn't it be better for us to correct the behavior and have God come in and do it. How many of y'all remember growing up? How many of y'all got whippings growing up? Let me see your hands. Uh, let me see your hands. How many of y'all, y'all got? All right. Now, I know some of, you, some of, you, some of y'all have children now that they're they looking like, what's a whipping? The rod of correction. Many of, many of you sitting here right now, if you're north of 35 or 40, you know what I'm talking about. And here's, here's, here's the beauty of it. Now, some, some of our parents may have went too far, but you ain't dead. 
and you got good sense. And, and, you, and you're living Amen. A, 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 a fruitful and productive life, and you and you're doing what God told you to do. You ain't listen. You, it didn't kill you. You may have thought that it was gonna kill you, but now you're able to discern a little bit better, right? But check this out. If we would have, in all those instances that we got a whipping, and sometimes how many of y'all got a whipping when you didn't deserve one before? And y'all ever? Okay. I think sometimes our parents whipped up because of what we might going to do. I know you're going to do something, come over and get a whipping. <laughs> but guess what? All things been equal. If we judge it, if we correct the situation before, then our parents wouldn't have to come in and provide correction. That's the same concept with God. God says, if you'll judge it, repent and turn away from it, I won't have to judge it. Chrono, come in and punish. And God has all kinds of ways that he deals with us. Amen? He, he deals with us. Go, go read the book of Judges. I challenge you to read Judges and see how God dealt with his way with people then. He loved them, but he loved them enough to, 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 to allow and to cause some things to come into their life to force them to repent. Sometimes we have to be forced to turn around. Because some, some of us ain't going to turn around until we hit our head and just bust, bust it all open, this white meat showing. That's unfortunate, but you don't have to do that. If you examine yourself and then turn, then God will deal with you. He won't have to deal with you because you've dealt with it yourself. That's what the Bible says. If I deal with it, so we got to judge it. The church has to judge it corporately, and you have to judge it individually. Can I get a witness? So, so, so. Uh, you know, it's important that we do that. Now, again, let, let, me, let me give you a couple of things, and I got to move on and, and get this thing to a close. Again, we, we've been talking about spiritual authority and accountability. Spiritual authority means that, that I, as a born-again believer, submit myself to God and his word because I can't separate God and his word. John 1 and 1 says what? In the beginning was the word. The word was the word, come on, let's go, let's go, 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 to, go, to, go to John 1 and 1. Come on, hurry, hurry. I don't, I don't want to even, I've quoted that thousands of times, but I don't even want to misquote that because that's, that's critically important. I think some of us believe that we can be all right with God and not be all right with God's word. The two are inseparable. You cannot be all right with God and be walking in disobedience to his word. Now, do we mess up? Yes, we mess up. Do we do all things right? No, we don't. But there's a difference between messing up, uh, overtaking in a fault, and just having to practice in lifestyle that stuff. There's a difference, okay? Watch what the text says. In the beginning, what? Was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Does that sound like God and the Word are one and the same? All right. Look at verse number uh Number two, it says what? The same was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse number four says what? In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, I, I, uh, go, to, go down to verse 14. 
for the sake of time. Verse 14. Skip, skip that right quick. Hurry up. It says what? And the word, the same word that was in the beginning, that was with God, that was was God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. So in other words, if the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh, then Jesus was God in human flesh. Wrapped up in human flesh. See, it was God. The Bible says in one point, great is the mystery of godliness. How he, God was manifested in human flesh. I don't understand it. I just believe it. I just believe that he went to the cross and died for my sins. I believe that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And early one Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hand. I believe it. Because God can do anything. Except fail, right? Now watch, watch. Okay, so, so, so when we look at this, so the word God and the word are one and the same. God, Jesus is the word also because it said the word became flesh. So, so I can't say that I'm following Jesus when I'm not following the word. I can't say I really love Jesus if I don't love his word. Gosh, how do you know when you love something? You spend time with it. You try to please it, right? I got news for you. There are a lot of people who I believe, I think there are a lot of Christians who made professions of faith, but they have not grown in their relationship with Jesus. So as a result, a lot of Christians are like the Corinthian church where they, they had all kinds of debauchery going on because nobody was growing spiritually. Because in order to grow spiritually, you got to love God's word. As newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow the body. You got you to know word, man. So, so, so I, can't, I can't pretend like I love God and then ignore his word. And that's, you know, Saul pretended like he was obeying God, but he, but he didn't do what the word says. See, spiritual authority, understanding spiritual authority means that I submit myself unto the word of God. And I, you know, even if I don't, if I, if I don't feel it, but I still do it because I'm submitted to the word of God. Amen. Now, so, so we need help sometimes in doing that. And one of the things we talked about, and I'll get to the, to the end of this message, is I want you to understand that we need people in our lives to help us along the way. Everybody say accountability partner. Remember I told you that, that, that uh, 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 you know, if you don't have an accountability partner, you need someone who loves Christ someone who wants you to succeed and someone who also senses a need of accountability in their own lives. You don't want somebody who just who think that all I got to do is I'm pouring out to everybody else. I don't need nobody to talk to me about me. Everybody, everyone else in here needs somebody in our life to talk to us about us who can be honest and transparent with us. So let me give you some things right quick uh, that, that I think will be helpful. I ran across the scripture and I, I just, I said, I'm going to read this. I got to read this because it just, I didn't even know it was in the Bible until I, 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 it just blew my mind. Watch this. So, so, so if, if we're going to, if we're going to have an accountability part, if we're going to have a true friend, everybody said true friend, then there's some things that we got to look out for and be aware of. Scripture highlights the importance of true friendship by making more than 100 references to friendship in the Bible. Uh, write these down real quick, okay? So when it comes to friends, right, number one, understand this. Friends are essential 
not optional. Friends are essential, not optional. Y'all got that? that? I shared this with y'all before, didn't I? Y'all don't remember this? Okay, it's been, it's been a while then. Okay, friends are essential, not optional. There is no substitute for a true friend. Someone who cares for you, someone who listens, someone who comforts you, someone who even will reprove you. Go with me right quick to Proverbs 27. Go to Proverbs 27. I, I, gosh, Proverbs 27. Glory to God. And let's, uh, let's look at verse number, uh, there's so much in here. Uh, but but I, I don't have time to go all over. Go to Proverbs 27, verse number 6 right quick. Glory to God. Are y'all there? Let's read. It says what? Wound, okay, it says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are what? Deceitful. Let's go to the New Living Translation on that one. And I want to I share some scripture with you right quick. All right. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. In other words, uh, you know, uh, a true friend will tell you the truth, and it may hurt, but that's better than someone telling you a lie just to appease you. Are y'all listening to me? Uh, watch this. Uh, as a matter of fact, back up. I, I, I got to share this with you. Uh, look at verse number one. Look at verse number one. Come on, hurry. Verse one. It says what? Let's read it again. It says what? Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. Verse 2, let someone else praise you. We, we talked about this in men's ministry yesterday morning. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. If you're going around talking about I'm the greatest that's ever been, can't nobody solve it but me. I'm the one. I'm the best one that's ever been. I'm the best this. I'm the best that. Can't nobody do it like me. Look at me. I got all the answers. Something wrong with you. Look at what the text says. Let, let someone else praise you. Listen, if you got it going on, you ain't got to tell nobody you got it going on. Everybody knows you got it going on. Hello? If you got to tell us you got it going on, If you got to tell me you in charge of your house. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Verse 3, come on, let's go. Watch this. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but the resentment caused by a fool is even heavier. That sounds like a new rap song going on, right? A fool... <laughs> will drive you crazy, basically what they're saying. Verse number four, come on, let's go. Anger is cruel and the wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. Watch this. Skip down with me. Verse number seven, verse seven. Let's go to verse seven. Read with me. It says what? A person who is, fu who, who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. A person, verse eight, a person who strays from home is like a bird that strays from a nest. The heartfelt, look at verse 9, the heartfelt counsel of a friend, look at this, is as sweet as perfume and incense. When you get heartfelt counsel from a true friend, a true accountability partner, it's just like sweet perfume and incense. Uh, look, look at this next one. I, I, I ran across this. 
And, and I saw this, and I, and I, I skip down with me, if you will. I, I, you know, I just saw this, and it just jumped out of the page. And look at verse 15. Watch this, watch this. I saw this, ooh, I didn't know that was in there, God. You, you, you know what you're talking about. It says, a quarrelsome wife <laughs> is as annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. Drip, drip. You ever just heard something dripping and get on your... Now, ladies, I, I didn't make this up. It's, it's, it's in the Bible, okay? I just, I just happened to see this while I was studying this chapter, and it just, it just, it just came up off the page at me. Look at, look, look, look at, look what it says in the next verse. Now, now go back. Let's get it in context. Next, verse, fifteen says what? Watch it. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a, as constant dripping on a rainy day. Look at the next verse. Look what it says. Stopping her complaints. It's like trying to stop the wind. How are you going to stop the wind? Or trying to hold something with greasy hands. Just don't work, does it? Man, I saw, I said, God, whoo. Yeah, it's in there. It's in there. Every brother tomorrow, that's a word. That's a word. I just, I just saw that guy. I was like, God, where'd that come from? How, how'd that happen? But look at the next verse. I, I, I got we back. Everybody say friendship. Everybody say friendship. Say get back to friendship, Pastor. I just threw that in parenthetically. All right, in case somebody got an annoying wife. I don't have an annoying wife. My wife, yeah. My wife's sweet. Yeah. Hey, baby, how you doing? Watch this, watch this, guys. Look, now here's, here's, here's what I'm going to As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You need somebody in your life who will sharpen you. You need somebody in your, in your, in your life who will sharpen you. Iron sharpening iron, there's, sometimes there are sparks that fly. So a true friend don't mean that y'all don't have some disagreements from time to time. But y'all ain't going nowhere. Y'all sticking together? Hello? All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, now so, so friends are essential, not optional. Number two, watch, write, this, write this one down. Friends must be cultivated. They're not automatic. They got to be cultivated. Watch what the text says in Proverbs 18 and 24. Can we go there right quick? Proverbs 18 and 24. Glory to God. 18 and 24. I got, I got to read this to you. It says, they are friends who destroy each other. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Can we read it again? It says, what? They are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. You need somebody in your life who, who can stick to you, who can, who can sharpen you, who can have some, some tough conversations with you. Uh, and and, and y'all still be all right. That's got to be cultivated. That doesn't just happen, amen, by happenstance. Can I get a witness? Uh, next, write, write this one down. Friends impact our lives. Friends impact our lives. They're not neutral. Friends impact our lives. They are not neutral. Hear me carefully. I got Bible to back me up. 
Those who are close to us rub off on us for good and for bad. Friends, come on now, listen. They, they, they impact our lives. They're not neutral. I mean, true friends. Their morals, their philosophies, their convictions, their character. Eventually, if you're not careful, it will become your morals, convictions, and your character. Go with me right quick. Right, watch this. In um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. Pop it up right quick. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. So, friends impact our lives. They're not neutral. So you got, when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're seeking for somebody to be in an accountable relationship with, make sure it's somebody who, who, who has spiritual wherewithal. Someone who is, who is growing in their faith. Look at what the text says here. Don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Bad company, hear me young folks, corrupts good character. You ought to get ready to go off to college, you're going to meet some new people from all different walks of life. And you're going to have to make a judgment and a determination whether that person is healthy for you or unhealthy. Don't be fooled. By those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. You remember I gave you this from Proverbs 13 and 20. Pop it up right quick. Proverbs 13 and 20. I, when I saw this, I'm like, that's so true. Proverbs 13 and 20 right quick. Look at what the text says again. Glory to God. Walk with the wise and do what? Become wise. Associate with fools and you're going to do what? There it is. Can we read it again? I, I, we need to read that one more time for emphasis. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools, get in trouble. All right? So, so, so write this next one down. Friends come in four classifications, not one. Friends come in four classifications, not one. Friends come in four classifications, not one. Okay? Y'all with me? Um, and then as you, as we, I'm going to give you these four classifications. Some of y'all have heard these before. But when we look at these four different levels of friendship, you'll notice how the, the number of friends we have in each one of these categories is going to decrease the farther down the list we go. But honesty increases the farther down the list we go. Let me repeat that again. When we go down this list, the number of friends we have in each one of these categories is going to decrease as we go down the list. But honesty and integrity will increase as we go down the list. The first type of friend is what we call an acquaintance. How many of y'all got some acquaintances? An acquaintance is someone or those people with whom you have, you know, you, you, you have contact with them, but it's not very frequent. And, and you have, when you interact with them, it's, it's surface talk. It's, it's like, how's, how's, how you doing, man? How's the job coming on? How's the wife and the family? Are the Cowboys going to be any good this year? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Or the Saints going to the Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of the Cowboy fans said, no, no. You know, you talk about stuff like that, it's surface. But they don't ask, acquaintances rarely ask deep questions. Rather, does an acquaintance come up and say, hey, man, how you doing with that pornography thing you were struggling with five years ago? 
Do you still have uh, covenant eyes on your on your on your web browser so that you alert a friend whenever you go to a, a website that uh, that has pornography in it? Do you, see, acquaintances don't ask those kind of questions. They, they they stay on the surface. Second type of friend: casual friends. Casual friend. With, with these people, with casual friends, you, you have you have more contact. You have some common interests. And you feel comfortable asking more specific questions. Casual friends. All of us have acquaintances. All of us have casual friends, right? Okay. Then third, you have category is close friends. And with close friends, we share life goals. We, we have the freedom to ask personal questions. And we oftentimes engage in meaningful projects together. Close friends. All of us have close friends. We get a little bit more deeper, okay? But then this last category is one that's, that's, that, that's really, uh, you know, when you get to accountability partners, it, it needs to be somebody in this, in this mode. We call these intimate friends, intimate friends. With these intimate friends, you have regular contact and you have a deep commitment to the relationship. And, and you, all, you all are mutually trying to develop each other's character. Amen. And you share that freedom to criticize and to correct. You criticize and correct, but you also encourage and you embrace that person. See, what, what, here's what I've told you. And, and we talk about this as, as, a, as, a, as a body of believers at EBC. Our focus is on building faith and connecting families. And in this, in, in this ministry, when, when a Christian falls, our mindset should not be let's stomp on them and, and just kind of press their neck in the ground. We should go and try to restore brothers and sisters. Because, you know, restoration is a part of our mandate as born again believers. No, we don't condone your sin. No, we, you know, we're going we're gonna to deal with it. We're going to talk about it. But we're not going to leave you out there when you, when you really are sorrowful trying to repent. But now if you don't want to repent, if you're going to be like that guy in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, who was in an, an incestual relationship with his stepmama. Everybody knew about it. The whole community knew about it. They were doing stuff that wasn't even named among the Gentiles, but that guy was in the church, and the church at Corinth did not address that open sin. You got to address open sin like that. But it don't mean we don't love you. And we're going to come and try to pull you back in because we don't want you to stay out there. The devil was... See, when you mess up, one of, one of, one of the, 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 the thing that the devil uses gets you is guilt. You feel bad, especially if you're saved, you really saved, you feel bad about what you did. And then what people do, they'll run from the church. When everybody finds out you're on the news, then now you ain't going to come to church for a month or two. Hide. Why? No, no, no. Let's, let's deal with the issue because you are part of our family. And we want, we want you to be connected, okay? But, but, but true, true friends are, are that way. But, but again, in order to, to, to be a true friend, you got to sow friendship. The Bible says if a man wants a friend, he got to show himself what? Maybe you don't have a friend because you ain't very friendly. You ever thought about that? Why don't nobody want to be around me? Maybe you ain't friendly. <laughs> Examine yourself to see if you are exuding godly love because God's love is contagious, guys. Are y'all with me? Okay. So, so those are some things that, that I want you to keep in your memory bank. Okay. So remember those, those different classifications of friendship. All of them are not the same. 
And we got to make sure that we're doing our part. Now, now guys, let, let, let's close this out. We said spiritual authority and accountability is critically important. So connecting with friends is, is crucially important. We see that in our, in our, in our scripture text that I read. I could have read you a, a thousand more scriptures, but I don't have time. But this is important for us. When we as a body of believers begin to, um, uh, to submit ourselves to spiritual authority and when we begin to be accountable for our actions, accountable to the word. And again, I, I started sharing with you on last week. And I gave you on Wednesday night, we gave you a handout about how there's, there's some areas in the Bible that, that, are, that we have liberty in. And I gave you some, some points, which I don't have time to go through today, some points, uh, some guidelines for when we have liberty in a certain area, how, what we should and should not do, you know, uh, because accountability, spiritual accountability, spiritual authority means that I'm up under the word. So if the word is silent on an area, if the word is silent on the area and I, and I may have liberty, I still have to use, not, I can't use my liberty as an occasion to the flesh. I got to ask myself, if what I'm getting ready to do, is it helpful? Does it get me, uh, will it grip me in its power and have me doing something that leads to sin? Will it, will it cause others to stumble if I do this? And is it glorifying to God? Just because you can do something don't mean you should do it. I got to make myself accountable to the spiritual authority in this house and in the church universal and amongst us as born again believers. Man, God loves each one of us. And he wants to use every last one of us in here to advance kingdom principles. Let's submit ourselves to spiritual authority. Let's be accountable to each other. Find that one or two brothers or sisters who you can connect with. Connect with your spouse and be, if you're married, y'all be accountable to your spouse. I'm going to say that right now. You and your spouse ought to be best friends. If you and your spouse are not best friends, your relationship is not as healthy as it needs to be. If you can't talk to your spouse about what you need to talk to them about, it's not as healthy as it needs to be. God gave you that person to you to become one flesh, and when it's not working right, it's not good. Guys, I love you. Jesus loves all of us. He died. He came down here, went to the cross of Calvary, was crucified, died on Calvary's hill, buried in the bar tomb, and rose again the third day morning so that you and I could walk in spiritual authority. Let's submit ourselves and become the person that God wants us to be. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you and praise you for, again, another grand opportunity.